0: All right, well, good morning again. This morning we are continuing our study in and through the book of Acts, but we are going to, um, we're going to be looking at two verses that we actually covered last week uh, in light of this week being Thanksgiving. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 and look at verses 46 and 47 again this week. Before we get to that, as you're turning there, I want to give you a heads up of the coming weeks, what's coming ahead. Uh, next week, we'll be in Acts 3, verses 1 through 10, wonderful text, and then the following four weeks, December 3rd, December 10th, December 17th, and December 24th, which is Christmas Eve, uh, we're going to be celebrating Advent as we continue through the book of Acts, um, and so hopefully you'll be preparing your heart for that. I cannot believe it is the season of Advent already, uh, which as you know is a joy for me, Uh, And I hope you're as as excited about it as I am. For many of us, this week is going to be full, packed, probably. Um, I know for us, for the boys and myself, uh, it's going to be filled with holiday things, Christmas decorating, getting together with family, listening to uh, Christmas music, and most importantly, being thankful, Um, which is something that... Sadly, we have to remind ourselves of so often. And that's the heart of what we see in the early church, and really what we're going to be looking at today, especially in verses 46 and 47, but really all through the text we looked at last week in verses 42 through 47. Just this incredible picture of thankfulness, gladness of heart. And so let's look at the text together. If you're able to stand, go ahead and stand and follow along as I read Acts 2, verses 46 and 47. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. You're so kind to us, Lord. Truly, there's so many things we have to be thankful for, and ultimately, we want to proclaim together that it's Jesus, ultimately, that we're so thankful for. And so, help us, Lord. Help us to center our hearts, our attention, our affections on Jesus, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, I'm not sure, I can't tell you how many times I have said this to uh, you as your pastor over the years, but it's been a lot of times, um, but Christians should be the most thankful people, the, the most glad, the most joyful people on the planet. I believe that, and I think the scriptures show us that, demonstrate that. You look at the text for today, and and let's look this morning as we go through these verses as, as well as some other texts, and look at it through the lens of thanksgiving. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Every single day, these early Christians are gathering together and the picture we're given is nothing less than sweet and complete joy. This picture of thanksgiving. They're going to the temple together to worship and to pray, devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread, to the prayers. And they're going to each other's homes to feast together. They just, they want to be together. That's the That's the craving in them. We want to be with brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to rejoice with them. We want to worship together. I can't imagine a better picture of Thanksgiving than this early church picture. It whispers to us of what it will be like when God's kingdom comes fully at last, when heaven and earth come together and Christ reigns over us all and dwells with us forever. And continues. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. Now this, this is what I want for us to have ingrained in our hearts, not just for the meals that we're going to celebrate and share with family over the next week, but, but for always, that this would be a genuine work inside our hearts, that we would receive our food, together with glad and generous hearts. We are blessed. We are so blessed. And although we're becoming a culture more and more of critique and of complaining, we have no reason to be that. As followers of Jesus, we should be the most grateful, thankful people on the planet. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. You know what that's the fruit of? You know what produced that in them? It's the fruit of Jesus impacting a meal. The foundation of all of this for them is Christ, Christ crucified and risen. Jesus changes the way that we come together and the way that we feast. Jesus changes the motivations of meals. You think with me for a moment about the meals with Jesus that Luke writes about in his first book in the Gospel of Luke. One particular meal is found in Luke chapter 7. So go ahead and go ahead and turn there, Luke chapter 7 verses 36 through 50. We won't spend a long time here, but just so that you're seeing the words. Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You think about what Jesus brings to this. Meal. What his presence brings about at this meal. And the contrast if Jesus had not been there. A woman of the city who was a sinner comes and worships Jesus. She doesn't come and complain about the social or political issues that led or drove her to that lifestyle. She doesn't talk about the men, and there would have been many, many, many men who abused her. She comes and worships. And then look at the host of the feast, Simon. Simon is the one who complains. And Jesus corrects him and commends the woman. And notice from the text... It says Jesus turned toward the woman. He isn't ashamed to be identified with her, isn't too proud to look into her eyes. There's something so important to know here if we're to have a heart of thanksgiving, and that's to consider the difference that Jesus makes at a meal. We already know the difference that he's made in in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 with these new believers. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, but look here at the impact of Jesus on this meal at Simon's house. What if Jesus had not been there? What would have happened? If the woman had come at all, which she would not have because she would have known exactly what would happen to her if she entered a space that Jesus wasn't present. But if she had come, she would have been rejected. She would have been cast out. And the complaints about her would have been the theme of the meal. The whispers and announcements of what a terrible, awful dirty, filthy person she is would have ruled the conversation. No one would have been glad for the right reasons in the right way. No one would have cared enough to curb the criticism and complaining. Instead, she she comes because Jesus is there. When she heard that Jesus was present there, she came, and she's embraced. The outcast is welcomed, and the complaints are curbed, and Jesus is worshiped. Jesus changes the way that we feast. He makes glad and generous hearts when He's present. Another meal in Luke's gospel tells the same story. Zacchaeus Rejoices and repents. He's an enemy of the Jews and a wicked man, and he's embraced by Jesus and then is overcome with gladness and a generous heart. Jesus changes everything and produces gladness, thanksgiving look again at Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. They were feasting with glad and generous hearts, counting others as more significant than themselves. That's what it looks like. And then verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, listen, I mentioned this last week. I know that. But I think it's so important. It's so significant. We have a culture in our country right now where more and more people are saying that they have disunity and are disassociating with their family members because of their differing positions on politics. People who are choosing to not even celebrate or gather with their family because they know what it will be like. And that's with flesh and blood family. But look at this picture in Jerusalem. These people have come from all different places. They came to Christ because they heard the disciples speaking their own heart language. Languages that are many and different. And so they're not coming with the same backgrounds or the same beliefs, the same way of doing things, the same positions, and yet they have favor with all of the people. All of these people who are coming from different ways of thinking. They have favor with all of them. There is hope for favor in the midst of different thinking people when Jesus is a part of the meal. When Jesus is present there. And then it says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. If we could learn from this and how it spreads... The way that they interacted with each other, the way they loved, their gladness, their thanksgiving, their worship, it spread. It was contagious. People saw what genuine faith in Jesus looks like, and they longed for that too. It's why Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 12, but you're a chosen race Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Isn't that similar to what's happening in Jerusalem? Your identity has changed. You're a different person now. You were in darkness, but you're in light now. You were far from God, but you are chosen and loved and blessed. You're His people. Set apart from this world. Be glad about that. Be thankful. You're set apart for God. And so together... Proclaim how incredible He is. And let that conduct be be seen by others, be seen by those who don't know Him. Let them see, not just hear how wonderful Jesus is. The difference that Jesus makes at a meal or at a job or anything else. and that way even if they ridicule you or speak against you they'll acknowledge the goodness that they've seen in you the lord added to their numbers every day as people see the way that they're interacting in colossians 2 paul exhorts the church and in this exhortation he writes this therefore as you received christ jesus The Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, abounding in thanksgiving, just as you were taught. Jesus changes everything. You received Christ. You got Jesus, Paul is saying. So walk in Him. Walk in the way that He showed you how to walk. Have your roots deep in Him and in His ways. And just as you were taught, abound in thanksgiving because of Jesus. Paul says that the church, whether they're gathering as a body or as families, should overflow with thanksgiving. The faith that you have in Christ, the faith you're established in should lead to thanksgiving and not just ordinary thanksgiving, overflowing thanksgiving. You should abound. I should abound in thanksgiving. And Paul gives us, in the, in the context of, of Colossians 2, he gives us the enemy, what we're fighting against so that we can be thankful people. Right after verse 7, where he's saying to, that we ought to abound in thanksgiving. In Colossians 2.8, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, this is a random illustration, but if you've ever watched the movie Tarzan, which, spoiler alert, is not based on a true story. But the baby, Tarzan, is adopted by gorillas. If you haven't seen the movie, see the movie, come on. What are you wasting your life for? Goodness gracious. I should not be spoiling anything here. But the baby, Tarzan, is adopted by gorillas. And what happens in the movie? He takes on the characteristics of his environment, the things he's taught, he does. And so, he moves around like a gorilla. He makes noises like a gorilla. He is like a gorilla. Now, why in the world do I say that as an illustration? Because Paul is saying something very similar in Colossians, If you're being nurtured with, or or the way he says it, if you're being taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit, then you're taking on the characteristic of those things. And one of the impacts that it's going to have in your life is a lack of gratitude. Your glad and generous heart will diminish. You'll be less thankful, or or you won't be thankful at all. I truly want to be a person who is overflowing with thanksgiving, who is abounding with thanksgiving. An enemy of thanksgiving is false teaching, whether it's conspiracy theories, false religion, or anything else that begins to convince us of itself, even though it is a lie. It's plausible Those things are plausible. That's what what Paul talks about in the context of Colossians 2. In Colossians 2 verse 4, he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. That no one will lead you astray. That you won't buy the lie." So it might be plausible, but it isn't true. And the reason it's an enemy of thanksgiving is it causes you to pull your attention from the source of joy and thanksgiving. The Jerusalem church was devoted to Christ, the source of joy and thanksgiving. You may be here and say, I believe. I'm going to pause for a moment here and just address this. You you may be here and you're hearing me talk about true and sincere and deep thanksgiving and, and you may say, I believe. I believe in Jesus. And with all of the strength that I have, I am devoting myself to Him and to His ways but honestly, I'm struggling. I'm struggling to be thankful. Things are really hard, and I don't feel thankful. I'm, I'm far from abounding in thanksgiving. I don't feel thankful. I don't have overflowing thanksgiving. And so I don't want to mislead or dismiss here as we talk about thanksgiving and what Jesus brings to a meal or to a family or to a job or whatever. There are very real circumstances in this life that are thieves. They steal thanksgiving from us, but they're not the the sinful things that we're doing like Paul's talking about in Colossians. They're things that come from living in this very broken world, suffering, trauma, abuse, victimization, Loneliness, and the list goes on and on and on. Very real things. I want to be encouragement to you in that, if that's where you're at. I don't want you to think that if you're not skipping around saying thank you for this horrible burden, you somehow have drifted from Christ, because it's not true. Christ, Jesus acknowledges that. It's why I want to put such an emphasis on Him over and over and over again. Over again, I want to put an emphasis on Him to bring us back to the way that He lived. It is you. It's you brother or sister in Christ, you who are suffering, you who are weighed down with real life, unable to abound in thanksgiving, it's you that Christ comes to again and again in the Gospels. The marginalized, the broken, the hurting, the outcast. He sees you He loves you just the way you are. In John's gospel, particularly in in chapters 14 through 16, just incredible grouping of verses as Jesus is teaching the disciples and he's laying out for the disciples the fact that he's leaving. He's going away. They don't understand most of that. They don't understand the depths of what is coming. They don't understand why you would have to leave, That they won't see him anymore. And in the midst of of the real heartbreak and sorrow that, that that truth brought to them, in the midst of the reality of this broken world having its way with these disciples, Jesus says to them a few things. He doesn't dismiss the difficulty. He doesn't s- dismiss the sorrow. In fact, in, in John 16, he says, So also, you have sorrow now. But I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy away from you. He says, there's a day coming, I'm leaving, I'm going away. You will not have me with you, present in the flesh and blood, walking with you anymore. I'm going away. There is a day coming when your sorrow will be no more. Not just relieved until another sorrow comes, which is what so many of us experience in this life. No, it will be gone, never to return. I'm coming back, and that is when joy will be everlasting. In a fuller way than any of the outcasts, any of the marginalized experience in the gospel, Jesus will come and take away all of our sorrows forevermore. That's the truth that we should set our hope in the midst of seasons where thanksgiving is difficult. That's the truth that we should set our hope on. But he says something else a few verses later, a text that I want to know to truly experience in this life on earth. In, In chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I've said these things to you so that in me you'll have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation or trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Now, what things has he said? These things I've spoken to you. What things has he said? That he's leaving, that the Spirit is coming, but he's leaving them, that he's going to be gone. So, there are hard things that they've just heard. And he says, I've told you this so that you'll have peace in me. You're going to know what's happening because I told you. And you can rest in the truth that I have told you these things. And he adds, you're going to have difficulty. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to have a lack of thanksgiving at times. But take heart. Some translations translate that as be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. I think we're seeing the fruit of that in Acts chapter 2. Those disciples, and now many, many more who have come to know Christ and are added to them. But those disciples who heard those words from Jesus, who left, they watched him go. Have glad and generous hearts. Yes, there's difficulty, but devoting themselves, devoting ourselves to the truth of Christ will help us through the difficulties toward peace and good cheer and thanksgiving. So going back to Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47, let's consider again what's leading to the gladness of heart in these Christians. The Spirit has come. And again, just like I said last week, Push against the, the tendency to see this as some text that happened a long time after Pentecost. This is all happening in real time. The Spirit comes. They're speaking in other languages. People come to know Jesus, and those people are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and prayers. This is all happening together. So the Spirit comes just like Jesus promised. He's rescuing people. He's saving people. They're no longer alone. They're devoted to Christ, to teaching about Christ, to fellowship, to breaking bread, to prayers. They've embraced the truth that Christ was crucified and that He rose from the dead. And the fruit of that devoted life is gladness or thanksgiving. And more and more gladness because the Lord is multiplying them. He's adding to their number every day, which means there is more to be thankful for. What a blessing. The truth that Christ died and was raised back to life and is coming again. That truth is the truth that can bring about true thanksgiving in our hearts. Truth that can help us to receive our food this week and throughout all of our days with gladness and with thanksgiving. So I'll say again, Christian, we should be the most thankful people in the world. And the temptation this week will be to sit around a table full of food in our nice, warm houses, Most of us served by people who worked for hours and hours to prepare the food for us and take that time to complain about politics or the state of current events. That will be the temptation. But what what should we be known for? What will you personally be known for on Thanksgiving and each day before and after? And so I would ask you, what is your blueprint for Thanksgiving this week? What's your plan? Sincerely, and don't think about this as a collective thing. What's not, not I'm hosting and so what's my plan for everyone else and to make them thankful? No, 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 no. What's your plan for you to be thankful no matter what else happens for you To be thankful. To have a glad and generous heart. What's your plan to that end? The Lord added to their number. As they displayed the fruit of his resurrection. People were eyewitnesses of their love and thankfulness. It was attractive to them. And we can assume that like the 3,000 who had just been saved. They too were hearing the message of the gospel. That Christ died and was raised and believed and are saved and transformed into glad and generous worshipers of Jesus. A means of thankful fellowship for us is the Lord's Supper. Eating with glad and generous hearts through the Lord's Supper. Partaking together with glad and generous hearts. It is a wonderful blessing. A gift Of the lord's supper is that the fellowship we share we share with one another with each other in this room and we share with christ that we have fellowship with christ in the taking of the bread and the cup in fact in first corinthians 10 16 paul writes the cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of christ The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? That word participation in 1 Corinthians 10 is the same exact word that we have in our text in Acts 2, verse 42, that's translated fellowship, that they devoted themselves to fellowship. And Paul says, we have that. Isn't it a participation? Isn't it a fellowship in the body and blood of Jesus. And so, what Paul's saying is true. We should take the Lord's Supper with thanksgiving, knowing that Jesus changes the way that we eat. We devote ourselves to fellowship with one another and with Christ, proclaiming his death until he comes, the bread a reminder of his body that was broken for us the cup, a reminder of his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. So you're going to be dismissed by Rose to come and receive the bread and the cup and return to your seats as we sing and then we'll take both together. Let's pray that our hearts would be filled with thanksgiving. Now as we take together these symbols that proclaim his death until he comes and then as we go, as we prepare to gather together, as we gather with family, that we would rejoice as those who are saved and love Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. You truly are good, Lord. As the psalmist writes, you're good and you do good. We've all experienced that. Whether we would acknowledge it or not, we've all experienced your goodness in our lives. So we praise you and we thank you. We ask for your help, Lord. We want to be people who are truly thankful. And we know there are so many things that trip us up. So many things that, that blind us to the reasons we should be thankful. And we don't want that, Lord. We want, we want to be devoted to you. We want to remember your body and blood. that You were crucified, risen, and that you're coming again. We want, the be, we want the gospel to be on our hearts and on our minds and on our lips. So help us, Lord. Help us to be people who are contagious with our thanksgiving. That it's true and genuine. That it's not manufactured in any way. That you would do that in our hearts, Lord. That we'd be truly thankful. And let us witness to the goodness of you in our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.